Kat Tompkins, and you are listening to the Engage Chesterfield Podcast, a podcast about topics that affect our schools and community in Chesterfield, Virginia. We believe family and community engagement is an essential component of improving outcomes for children and youth. Our goal is to strengthen the partnership between families, teachers, schools, and the community through open dialogue. Thanks for engaging with us. What is dyslexia? What are some of its impacts? How about intervention strategies? Today's episode centers around dyslexia awareness and features Dr. Zania Burnett, Dr. Sam Hollins, and Emily Staines of Chesterfield County Public Schools, and special guest and CCPS graduate, Caitlin Winings. reading. I love books. When I was a little girl, it was like the ultimate when I got to go to the Chesterfield County Public Library and get my first library card. It was the eight-year-old's equivalent of getting a driver's license. I remember reading Nancy Drew books under the covers with a flashlight. Reading has just always been a part of my life. When my kids were born, I started reading to them first thing, as did their grandparents and their aunts and uncles. Um, One of my favorite memories of my son is that he would sit in a wash tub. He was like 10 to 12 months old, and he would read his board books with his pacifier in his mouth, rubbing his blanket under his nose. And you know what? When my son went to school, he picked up reading right away. And then along came my daughter. She got the exact same read-aloud treatment from all of us, as did my son. Maybe more, because when she was little, I was actually a librarian for the public library. But you know what? When the time came for kindergarten and first grade, things did not seem to be clicking for my daughter like they did my son. My daughter, Kate. She was just not making the letter sound connection right away. But everyone kept saying, oh, she's super bright. She's probably just a bit of a late bloomer. Well, one weekend we were visiting my grandma's house. Grandma had taught third grade and she had a little play schoolroom set up in an extra bedroom for the kids. It was complete with a chalkboard and a couple of desks and old school books. Well, begrudgingly, my little first grade daughter agreed to play school with her older cousin, Jessica. And Jessica got to play this teacher, and Kate was the student. Well, I was visiting with my grandma and observing from the next room over. And Miss Jessica, the teacher, was writing words on the board, and my daughter, Kate, she was struggling to read them. And one of the words that Jessica had written on the board was S-E-A. And Jessica was like, this is an easy word, Kate. Sound it out. Sound it out. And Kate got mad and frustrated. And she finally said, ugh, it's ocean. I'm not playing this anymore. So, wow, my takeaway as a mother and an educator were how amazing it was that she associated S-E-A-C 
with water and came out with the word ocean. I was also astounded that there was zero letter sound connection. The word was more of an image to her than a combination of letters and sounds. And I also took a mental note of her frustration as well as the fact that she hated plain school. So that was the day I began my pursuit for answers. I wanted to help my girl with her reading. My gut knew that something was wrong. I wanted to act fast because at that point she still loved hearing stories and looking at books, but I wanted her to love reading too. Ultimately, we found out through testing that Kate has dyslexia and short-term memory issues. I like to say she's wired differently, but exactly what is dyslexia? I'm going to have Dr. Zania Burnett of Chesterfield County Public Schools explain. Dyslexia is a learning disability that is neurobiological in origin, and it is characterized by students having problems with word reading. So dyslexia is something that children are born with. It's genetic. It's not a result of my lack of parenting or poor teaching, correct? Correct. It's not something that they can acquire from a teacher. A teacher surely can contribute to a student being more, um, let's say, worse off um, if they don't necessarily provide the correct instruction. But uh, a student could possibly have acquired this from family origin because it does run in the family. It can. It surely can. But it's more of um, a brain-related disorder. Dyslexia is the most common learning disability in the U.S. It is estimated that 1 in 10 people have dyslexia, and that includes over 40 million American adults. Some people do not even realize that they have it. It is not tied to IQ. A matter of fact, Einstein was dyslexic and had an estimated IQ of 160. It is a myth that dyslexia is about getting letters or numbers mixed up or out of order or making reversals when writing. Dyslexia is characterized by issues with word decoding, oral reading fluency, and spelling. So it makes learning to read and write super difficult. And this can be detrimental if there are no interventions. Dr. Sam Hollins and Dr. Burnett will explain some of the impacts, signs, and also identification methods for dyslexia. So when we talk about the impact of something like dyslexia on a student's educational career, you know, obviously when we're talking about elementary school, we always have a focus on the early elementary grades and the fact that we're teaching students to read. And then as they progress through the K-12 system, they then begin, begin to read to learn, right? So when we talk about the impact of dyslexia, um, it's, the, it's the impact on that sound assemble correspondence for students. So it directly impacts their phonological awareness. And that can be a huge barrier for a student, particularly as they're learning to gain those skills in reading. And so often we see issues um, that offshoot into other content areas. So as folks are usually probably familiar with, we see dyslexia, but we also see things like dyscalculia, which affects um, the recognition and ability to manipulate numbers appropriately because that sound symbol correspondence is the same for letters and sounds as it is for numbers and their meaning. 
um, and also dysgraphia, which can affect a student's writing. Oftentimes, handwriting can be affected across the spectrum of these different disability areas and can directly impact a student's educational performance, but can also directly impact their motivation. You know, as you can imagine, many students that may um, have some of those hallmark characteristics can become easily frustrated in the classroom, um, and they might not be able to talk to their teacher. They may not be able to communicate effectively what that issue or barrier is, so we can expect that students would be frustrated. They would lack motivation around instructional tasks and often maybe see them start to communicate through behavior in the classroom, and that's something that we want both parents and teachers to be really aware of is that um, always checking in with students and seeing if they're noticing any of those impacts on performance, we're automatically starting to look at how can we intervene appropriately and make sure that students are identified early and receiving those supports and resources that they need to be successful. And there are many signs and characteristics of students that would want uh, would warrant our, us to be concerned about their educational performance and a possible impact from something like dyslexia. I think what's also um, a little bit of a stumbling block when it comes to communicating is the fact that when those concerns and that educational performance begins to become adversely affected, that's really what triggers that special education identification process. And, um, you know, for a lot of parents and even for some of our teachers, that can be really intimidating. You know, we have worked with this student, we've put some interventions in place, and we're still seeing some significant educational performance impacted. What's the next step? And that's when the special education identification process becomes a resource for both parents and school staff. Um, Dr. Burnett can talk a little bit about the assessments that go into that decision-making process, but I do want to remind many of our listeners that when we're talking about students who may have characteristics um, or even an outside identification of something like dyslexia, um, the IDEA, or the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which is the legislation that governs uh, special education in public schools, maintains a list of disability categories. And those are the categories that we have from which to draw to identify students. While dyslexia is not one of those specific categories, it in no way impedes our ability to service those students. Um, many times we see our students identified as students with um, uh, specific learning disabilities, um, perhaps with other health impairment. Um, our thought is really what is behind um, what is behind some of those characteristics and how can we directly um, and accurately um, identify our students and use assessments to really uh, move that work forward. Sure, and so once a student um, is, it's been identified that a student should go through a battery of assessments, the type of assessments that may necessarily need to be um, administered, we may have cognitive assessments um, academic achievement assessments. Um, of course, the students' language skills, in addition to their phonological skills, they absolutely need to be administered to understand this phonological processing piece, um, including the phonemic awareness. Um, there are some other batteries of assessments that may need to be administered um, that the assessment team may identify. And again, a classroom observation, of course, um, and after those particular assessments are administered, then the eligibility committee would come back to the table to review those um, particular assessments and make a determination in terms of eligibility. And I'd just like to add as well, when that particular team does convene, of course, they're trying to understand um, the student's eligibility in terms of um, IDEA services related to special education and if the student does require specialized instruction, but also that committee may also 
consider Section 504 eligibility as well when they are considering if a student does have a disability but does not require specialized instruction but may require accommodations. So students that do have dyslexia may not always require specialized instruction, but there are times where they may require other services. What would be an example of that? Like, what would be an example of an accommodation versus special services? So an accommodation for a student, and that's a really great question, an accommodation for a student with dyslexia could possibly be assistive technology. Um, lots of students with, when they've, especially when they've reached that I have been taught strategies to learn to read, and now I'm reading to learn, and I, I have acquired those strategies through a great structured read, reading um, or structured literacy um, approach. But now I need other supports in order to help me continue throughout my K-12 education. Assistive technology is very viable um, and helpful for students to continue throughout to support them and provide access with the general curriculum. So, you know, I think something else that we always find ourselves being asked about, particularly when we interface with parents and have discussions with them around concerns are, you know, what are the things that I should be asking about? What kind of questions um, do I need to be thinking about as I, you know, talk with my school team, as I kind of think about where my student is in their educational performance? And I think we always come back to a couple. And one is, what are some of the things that you notice um, at home? What do you observe with your student? Are you seeing difficulty with certain tasks that they bring home for homework? Are you seeing those difficulties persist across different environments? You know, um, my student struggles with this no matter if it's doing homework at our kitchen table, no matter if it's trying to read something for me at the grocery store, um, as they play sports, as they're in church. Um, you know, some of those things, always helping parents know to be aware and some of those things that they notice can have some real significance. Um, I think the other thing, too, is, you know, what kind of impact am I seeing on, on my student? Um, do I see them being frustrated? Do I see that motivation changing? And perhaps that looks different from, from other students, from neighbors that we have, from friends, um, from other children, you know, as you have older and younger siblings as well. So I think we always want parents um, not to, um, you know, not to think that their concerns aren't valid, but always to ask those questions more and then to bring those to the school team to really say, hey, um, you know, this is what I'm seeing at home. Let's talk a little bit more about what you guys are seeing at school so that we can start to kind of have a discussion around some of those impact areas. Um, you know, Dr. Burnett, I think we see some of those, whether it's at school or outside in the community as well. Sure. And then when I talk with parents, I always encourage them to ask school teams or to talk with teachers individually and just ask teachers to sit down and show them where is my child now in terms of a baseline and then how will I know that my child has made progress? So, for instance, if we're talking about reading, can you show me what my child knows at this point? And then how will I know my child has made any type of progress? So whether that's coming to an IEP meeting or a parent-teacher conference and you show me work samples and evidence of this is what your child knew nine weeks ago. This is what he or she was able to do. And this is the work that we've been completing, or these are the activities that's led up until this point, And this is what he or she can do now. 
Or this is where we have to regroup three, three weeks later and the student needs remediation because we hit a glitch or he didn't necessarily make progress or she didn't make progress. And the reason possibly is because we don't want to wait an entire another nine weeks to see that the child didn't make progress. We want to do something different and we want to be able to be responsive. Parents would love to know this. Parents need to ask these questions and they need to have evidence of it. Parents need to be more proactive in asking for the evidence. And I think, too, Dr. Burnett, you know, the things you just mentioned is really what so many of us are reading. If you pick up a newspaper or listen to our superintendent talk about growth measures, that's really what it is, is how do we show that our students are making progress from time uh, period A to time period B. And anything between a week of instruction to nine weeks to a full school year, um, we should expect to see that progress and growth and should be able to articulate that conversation for our students. So for all the parents out there listening, you have heard about the identification process and supports that our schools have available. But are you wondering how to support your child's literacy learning at home? I met with Emily Staines, Chesterfield County Public Schools Reading Specialist, to get some suggestions. So a couple of the strong suggestions that I would encourage you to utilize, but also that the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity utilizes as well, is that they encourage speaking directly to your child and making sure that in your communication, you are pronouncing and enunciating each sound very carefully. It's a way for your students to be able to pick up and hear the sounds and the symbols and the iterations of your voice so that they can also understand how to decode a word. Also make sure that you are exaggerating sounds. That's just very helpful for students and also oftentimes have them repeat it back to you because it's again practicing that skill level again. Make sure that you are reading to your children daily and this doesn't have to be a whole book but it should be some compartment of a book. Also one strategy you might want to think about as well is utilizing audiobooks so that while a student is reading a book, they are also hearing the same book at the same time. It helps with their traction and then also as well with their pacing. But speaking of books, another opportunity you might have for success is to use large print books in particular, um, and sometimes with children's books that might be more difficult to find, but a large print book for a child with dyslexia, it helps them actually see the separation in the words. So it better supports their reading and their comprehension across the board. Another really common um, activity that we don't often think about is just playing simple rhyming games. Having your students being able to determine other sounds uh, to make sure that they are picking up on the nuances of a word. Also, I would strongly encourage your students to make sure they're spending time in graphic novels. The idea of having an image that corresponds with words and with text, it really helps to cement comprehension in a way that some, maybe traditionally just reading, is not going to cement. So it helps reinforce that practice along the way. These, these are just some quick and easy tips to make sure that we are supporting our students in reading both in and out of the classroom. As a parent of a child with dyslexia, I remember wanting to help with Kate's literacy learning, but also I wanted to help bolster her self-esteem. I know that having dyslexia affected her confidence. I remember one time Kate asked her grandmother, why can't I read like my friends? And she was about seven or eight at the time, and it was heartbreaking for us. 
So I think it's important to let children know that dyslexia doesn't mean that you are not smart. It means that you learn differently. So let's talk to Kate now about dyslexia. Why do you think you succeeded? And what were the learning supports that you think were most beneficial to you, Kate? I had a good IEP teacher who um, helped me learn coping strategies for learning. I was able to find that flashcards were a great benefit for learning things and just being able to feed off of my mom and my other teachers, they were understanding about what was going on. So I was just, I was in a good environment to help me be able to learn and to be honest, my cell phone <laughs> right. um, has benefited me a lot. <laughs> um, so I've learned that using my cell phone for autocorrect and looking up words that I don't know so I can learn how to say them, because phonetics has not been my strongest suit. I haven't been able just to sound out a word to save my life. <laughs> so being able to look it up and hear somebody else say it has been a great benefit. Then with supportive family, friends, and teachers, I've really worked up my confidence in being able to stand up for myself in hard situations. I can't express how much my parents have taught me that I can do whatever the heck I want. I just have to say something. That's been beneficial. And then there's that cell phone with the autocorrect. That's a <laughs> great coping strategy right there. Do you think that having dyslexia affected your self-esteem? I think it enhanced my self-esteem. Not then. I think then I was afraid of how people reacted to me. Um, but after senior year and into college, I became to realize that why am I hiding that my brain is different than everybody else. It doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm more creative. I, I learn different ways than other people, which I can teach other people. It's just like, if you're struggling with this, try it a different way. And so oh, I've helped cool to people. Think about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's beneficial to other people to see others that learn differently and think differently. It's, it's, it's it can only help people rather than um, right. hurt them. So I right. rather people know that I'm different than hide myself. So I've become more self confident and I'm able to be like, hey, I have these learning disabilities, but like you shouldn't think of me differently. I'm right. just a normal person, but I so can you're self advocating. You. You're self advocating. Exactly. You're helping other people. You're empathizing with other people that may learn differently too. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Awesome. Of course, every child is different. My Kate has really persevered. Her love of learning and her tenacious spirit have also been factors in her success. As she is now a graduate of Chesterfield County Public Schools, VCU, and is currently applying to grad school for physical therapy. I hope that this podcast has given you some perspective. With appropriate teaching methods and support, a child with dyslexia can learn successfully. 
If you would like to learn more about dyslexia, you may be interested in the CCPS Literacy Fair. Here is Dr. Burnett with more information. So October 29th from 5 to 7, we are at Chesterfield County Public Schools is sponsoring their first literacy fair. We are so excited to partner with Teaching and Learning and also FACE. But we will have several vendors here. For instance, uh, we will have the Virginia branch of the International Dyslexia Association. They will have a table. We will also have um, Read 180 and System 44 that also um, has programs in our school. They're going to have a parent forum where they will do a simulation with parents so that parents will understand what instruction is provided in schools and also um, how to help kids at home with their homework and so forth and provide access to those particular um, programming. We'll also have other vendors available. We'll have dyslexia awareness workshops. Um, we'll also have a parent forum for dyslexia, but um, October is Dyslexia Awareness Month, and the entire theme is not dyslexia. It's about literacy as a whole. We're so excited. Um, we want to make this the first, um, but not just the best, but an annual event. And we're just excited, and we hope that we have a wonderful turnout. Have a great week, and thanks for engaging with us. Please follow the Office of Family and Community Engagement on Facebook and Twitter. Music credit to American Music Company, Aquanetics, and Free Music Archives, The Joy Drops.